You're listening to The Bizarro Files, a Scarlet Rhapsody podcast. been a while since doing this but hey another well it didn't come out recently but it's still a recent release you can find it on the netflix the mind trippy awesome not licensed by disney disneyland movie escape from tomorrow and i jared aka bizarro aka jared has seen it as has our producer our producer chan Hi, I'm Scarlett, and you probably might, might recognize my voice from being the host of Zero Hour, among other shows. And you might have also heard me on Anime Jam Session a few times. Um, I think um, when you talk about Escape from Tomorrow, you can't talk about it without talking about the production behind how Escape from Tomorrow was pulled off, because this is what got me curious about the movie. I actually first heard about it at New York Comic Con. I was in line waiting to get in um, because I was working at the Funimation booth, and they had like some of the street team just go come up to the people in line, and they were like, yeah, check out this movie, Escape from Tomorrow, filmed on Disney property without Disney's permission. And Harmony, who was with me, she's like, that sounds not too legal. like. Okay, I'm kind of curious about this. So I saw the trailer a couple weeks um, after New York Comic Con. I'm like, okay, this seems like a horror thriller movie set in Disneyland, Disney World. I wasn't quite sure which park they wanted to do at the time, having gone to the Disneyland Park in Anaheim countless times. (laughs) But it looked like they were trying to portray this black and white horror um, thriller kind of film set in the parks. Well, one of, the, one of the ways I learned about it was, I believe it was from the Film Freak podcast. Um, Leo has been doing a, a radio movie talk show for, he claims to be the longest in L.A., and he probably is. Um, for those of you who are not L.A.-bound, Leo Quinones uh, does a show called The Film Freak. It's used to be on KLSX. It's been on a couple other stations. He now podcasts it. He's not the best interviewer in the world unless he's really excited about the guest. Um, and I'm not going to try to criticize some guy who's been doing this job for like 20 years. Um, what I will say is, though, he did interview, I, I think, the director. And it was like, it's like, you know, I got such and such from Escape from Tomorrow. And I'm like, the hell is that? And then as they start talking about it, I'm like, wait, how do you get away with this? How did Disney security thugs not like grab him and like beat him to death? Um, and yet somehow they got the filming done. Uh, some of it you can tell is green green screened or blue screened or whatever type of screen they had some of it you can tell for some of the more risque stuff but a lot of stuff you can clearly it's it's the park um and just hearing his story of kind of like the creation and how it took what five years or something it took a long time to make this and edit and everything because of how many like reshoots and trying to get things right I mean, bear in mind, if, if they were on a specific ride and had to have specific lines on that ride, if they screwed up the lines, or if there was some sort of audio or visual problem, they would have to go back on that ride and shoot it again. How do you feel about going on It's a Small World 12 times? I think I would drown myself in the water. Because that's how many times they had to um, shoot in the Disneyland It's a Small World to get like the angles and the scenes right. Because there's some scenes in there where they do like close-up of the dolls and the faces change. And they also did that with like the Three Caballeros ride in Epcot. I've never been to Epcot. Shame on me for being a Disney Parks fan. And I think they also did the Winnie the Pooh ride in Disneyland. Yeah, the Anaheim Winnie the Pooh ride. And they also did the uh, Snow White ride in um, Disneyland. And here's the thing. Some of those rides are already creepy to begin with. That Winnie the Pooh one, I did that doing the uh, Halloween treat. It's the most terrifying ride in the entire park. That thing is a living acid trip, and I do not recommend going on it unless you're really high or like the experience of knowing what it feels like to be high. Um, but, yeah, then you go to those dark rides, and those dark rides take the dark to an extreme. I mean... 
I, I like that sequence actually because they're they're talking to the kid going like I'm scared of the witch and it's gonna be scary, and then it's just like having been on the ride. Yeah, that is a scary ride actually. The ride is really messed up. Like I enjoy I, I enjoy for what it is. Like yeah, it is like your typical Disney dark ride, and then at the end you see the witch die, and then that's it and then you are greeted by a mural that says and they live happily ever after in hell i mean just seeing the transformation of the witch in and of itself i mean it's, it's just an animatronic but it like still can freak you out because of how quickly it how quickly it turns i think like the scariest moment i've ever experienced at Disneyland was a couple years ago. It was New Year's Eve and we had this really thick fog roll in. We were on California Adventure side and I was just thinking to myself like when did Disney turn into Silent Hill? Look at the good side. You didn't have to fight anyone on the fair on the uh, Marigold round. I was expecting Mickey Mouse Pyramid Head, okay? Yeah. And you also did get run over by the uh, roller coaster. Anywho, but um, getting back to the movie, they went on this really, I, I believe the film cost, what, like, uh, about almost half a million to produce? Yeah, which, by movie standards, it's not a lot. By independent movie standards done by one dude is a ton of money. Because when you think about it, I was actually thinking about this, they had to get the main hotel at the Florida theme park, and they also had to house, like, um, however many cast members they had. Um, they had and crew. Yeah, so you also had to pay for their hotel rooms. You had to pay for their meals, and we all know that Disney gets expensive. And what did they did they have to do for the passes to get into the park each time? Did like each person have to have an annual pass because it's the only cost efficient way that you can actually do it? No, wait. There's actually a uh, I forgot what it's called. It's like a super annual pass that goes for both parks. They probably don't, might have done that. Don't like a thousand bucks a piece or something? More than that. That probably went, yeah, that, that probably went to the, uh, probably was part of the budget if it yeah, caught that much. Easily part of the budget. Um, and also the movie had to be edited in Korea so they can avoid suspicion from Disney. Honestly, if the equipment they had, they with the proper enough computer, he could have edited it from home. True. I could have edited that movie. I'm not saying that the movie was poorly edited. I'm I'm just saying I'm that good. Well, you won awards, so you have bragging rights. <laughs> I, I just can't win like modern AMV contests because I don't use robot farts. But that's a podcast for another show. So anyway, let's talk about the plot of the movie. As mesmerizing as the whole production side of Escape from Tomorrow is... The movie wasn't something I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be like, okay, family goes to, goes to Disney. Um, they're on the vacation from hell kind of thing. I mean, each of them experiences the vacation from hell. And it turns into like this horror type of thing and all that fun stuff. But what we got was like almost at David Lynch levels. Yeah, the way it was described to me on uh, Leo's podcast, and this is why I say it wasn't that good of an interview, is because it basically made it sound like Oh, family goes to Disneyland and then gets terrorized by monsters and stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. So maybe it's like, you know, you know, the pink elephants on parade actually do attack people or something. And no, nothing like that at all. It's it's a mind trip. Um, all right, let's just go over like the just the basic gist of it. So in the beginning, you have this middle age um, new um, family guy, um, Jim, and he's on the phone with his boss. You, they don't clearly tell you what he does for a living, but you just know that he's fired. He doesn't tell his family, and they go about their vacation at Disney World as with, it is. With his son being a little pain in the butt, locking him outside, and then copping an attitude the entire time. And um, he actually, um, and then like even on the monorail, um, he's like staring at these two clearly underage, teenage-ish um, French girls. Yeah, they're probably about 15-ish. Yeah, I would say like 15, 16. I wouldn't say they're like 8 or anything, but they're clearly minor teenager types. Yeah. And it's shot in a really interesting way because uh, what they're looking, what the way they're shot by looking and giggling and stuff, it looks like they're paying attention to the sun. Um, and he actually responds like, like, you know, kind of covering his face the way like little boys do and um, they're confronted by pretty ladies. 
Um, at least most little boys. There's there's probably man whore children who are like, yeah, give me that attention. But most get all bashful and stuff. Um, but you can also see Jim's expression at the same time, thinking, oh, they're looking at me and giggling and being flirty. So it actually works in a really w- way where you're like, oh, are they looking at the kid or are they looking at the dad? So like the first part of the, part of the uh, trip is um, the mom and the daughter, they do their own separate thing. And then you have Jim and Elliot, the son, they do their own thing. And the whole time he's like, I want to go on Buzz Lightyear. I want to go on Buzz Lightyear. I guess go to Space Mountain and throw up. He didn't want to go on Space Mountain. He got forced to go on Space Mountain. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, he wanted to go on Buzz Lightyear. And then, of course, when they're right at the end of the queue, and I know this having been on that ride before, um, they basically get told, uh, we have technical difficulties and have to shut the ride down. That actually happened to us on the Finding Nemo subs. We had to, like, leave just as, as um, we were being called to, called into queue. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Oh, uh, that sucked. Yeah. Anyhow. That's a long line, folks. That, that is a slow ride and a long, long line. Longest ride of all the in all the park. I thought uh, Pirates was. Um, Nemo and Pirates. I believe um, Nemo um, holds the record. I think last I checked for the record, the longest ride in the Disneyland Park mm-hmm. is Nemo, um, followed by Pirates in a close second. If you're gonna go with all the parks, it's uh, your soon-to-be favorite. What? Lightning McQueen's Bizarre Adventures. Oh, right, the test track. Well, yeah, it better be, considering that line goes all the way out of California Adventure. You're going to wait five and a half hours, but your ride will be 22 minutes, so enjoy. Gallant just kind of just gives an extra dimension of creepy um, if those cars actually came to life in California Adventure. See, I was expecting more stuff like that. I was expecting them to get chased down the street by, like, the Autopia cars or have, like, Tomorrow from... Uh, Interventions, like start pulling out a gun and shooting at them. That's what I was expecting. And I was like, that'd be awesome. I want to see that movie. I, still I want to see the Yeti like <laughs> jump out of, uh, out of Matterhorn and just like eat his son. And you're like, no, Bobby, you got eaten by a Yeti. Get yeah, out my camera cool. and fight it. <laughs> but anywho, so long story. So just kind of like just, just jump ahead, ahead a bit. Um, Jim runs into like this um milfy type and has an affair with her at fir- first like i thought it was like a whole dr- dream sequence that like yeah she's strung on him it uh it smash cuts well that's actually after he got his daughter um that they meet up basically jim follows those two girls around the park a little bit he meets up again with his wife after ignoring her phone calls two or three times um then they switch again and the son, having gotten sick from going on Space Mountain, leaves with the mom, and then the daughter goes with uh, with Jim, and then he, yeah, he runs into the the milfy lady, and it like he's like staring at her, and he seems kind of out of it, and you don't know if he's gonna like pass out and fall asleep, or if the uh, giant turkey leg he's eating is giving him like tryptophan uh, knockout, which by the way is a myth. Um, <laughs> there's not enough tryptophan in turkey to actually knock you out unless you ate the entire bird. Um, but whatever and it just it's smash cuts it's just he's there and he's staring at her little necklace she's wearing he's like your necklace is pretty cuts right directly to sex scene and you're just like oh this is in his head because he had a sequence of, with the uh the french girls where he's like oh they're on the ride with me and they're all being flirty and stuff and I'm like oh you're you're having a little sex fantasy about this but then it's highly implied after he gets out of the the hotel room that no that, that there's there's his daughter that totally happened and you're like what because it's so immediately cut it's not like oh we're flirting with each other giggle giggle hey let's head back to my hotel room. okay no it's your necklace is pretty sexy and and that's part of one thing you gotta get used to in this uh, movie is just it's cut certain ways to really give you a jarring effect sometimes um and it, and it works in, like, throwing you off, because that's not a sequence I expected to see in this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, after that, um, apparently the family just gets back... Wait. Oh, yeah, they were, like, on Tom Sawyer's Island. The girl's um, knee gets injured, too, by, like, yeah. some fat dude on the scooter Who? and, like, his asshole son. Yeah, they trip her and, like, just watch her cry. Yeah, that was, all, that was before meeting the uh, lady... When after the sex scene, basically, uh, Jim and his daughter—what was the daughter's name? I th- I forgot what's the name. Was it Emily or that was it the wife's name? I think that's the wife's name. 
Um, Jim and his daughter basically head back to their hotel room to find uh, Elliot and Emily, and they're not there, and then the daughter's like, oh, they're probably by the pool. So they head down to the pool, and yep, they're at the pool. And Jim dives in and sees the French girls and ogles them. And, uh, Pretty much abandons his son while he's in the pool. And meanwhile, his wife is complaining every five seconds in that whole pool sequence. You're looking at those girls, not paying attention to your son. Why didn't you put sunscreen on our daughter? What are you doing here? You look like a dork. Da, da, da. And like, it's just like on and on. And then she's like, yeah, you got me a Dumbo glass ornament. I wanted Minnie Mouse. I'm like, ugh. Let's be glad he got you anything, lady. Yeah. Uh, at, at this point, it has basically been established that the wife never stops complaining at him and he can do nothing right for her. <laughs> Sounds like someone I know. Uh, the son is much closer to the mother than he is to the uh, to Jim. Um, and the daughter seems to be closer to Jim than the mother. And generally doesn't seem to be bothered by anything that happens. No matter how like weird or how odd Jim acts or wherever they go, she's just like whatever's with it. Which is kinda kinda cool and very there are those kids who are very much in the whatever category. So at this point we've we've firmly established the personalities of the entire family. And Jim is clearly going through, you know, this little midlife crisis thing, having lost his job and just needing to escape from reality. Yeah, because what you see, see up to this point just feels like, okay, typical midlife crisis, and he's acting out on it on a family vacation, and it just so happens to be at Disneyland, but, and he had that sequence when he's in the, with the family and there's a small world, and he just starts seeing demons in that ride, and I was making I the I do, too, though, when I go on that ride. True, but um, I, I have, have a distinct feeling he also drank the water. Yeah, and also has a little sequence with... Uh his wife telling him that uh, she never loved him and his son is someone else's kid that she hates him and, and stuff like that and he's like what and it's compounded by the fact that he turns to his daughter and his daughter goes hates a bad word and it's just like wait so is this really happening is he dozing on this ride you know there's little moments like that like i said just like that smash cut that you're like wait th- is this really happening what is this all in his head and, and it's, it's played that way on purpose for the sake of, well, making us discuss it like we are. But following back to the story, after the pool scene, um, they head back into the park, I believe, because I'm going to see the fireworks. Yeah, they head back into Epcot, and they go around oh, the little pavilion. Right. They go to Epcot. Uh, Jim starts drinking. And, a lot. Yeah, and he wants to, like, you know, also have a good time with his wife, too. Like, he tried to, like, dance with her and... And all that stuff, but he's like, no, she just acts like super frigid, frigid about it. And they go on another ride. He throws up on the ride. I think that was the Caballeros ride thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the three Caballeros. Where he ride also in sees those Mexico world puppet things turn evil, and then he vomits everywhere. And I think it's around at this point where I think. It was right around at this point where the wife, uh, Emily, she realized, like, yeah, um, he's been, like, going after the uh, French girls because he's like, oh, yeah, you've been following around. I saw you were, like, looking at this how-to-speak-French guide kind kind of thing. And she pretty much leaves him and takes Elliot with her. And then Jim takes... Leaving him with the daughter again. Yeah, and then they go on to Soren. And throughout the whole ride, he imagines like this exotic looking girl who's like naked and straddling on the ride there are all these images on it yeah very very sexual it's like soren the porno yeah yeah that would be weird i don't know there, there's certain rides that would be kind of fun to have sex on if it was possible with the way those seats are set up which it's not that would be kind of a cool thing. I am. I just want to remind you that I, I would count that as being in the Mile High Club if that actually happened. I just want to remind you that your dad um, designed a sense for that ride. He did. It smells delicious. Let's have sex. That's what I would tell a girl if I was on that ride. That's a whole lot of fish. Yeah. Get the nice orange smell at the groves, and you get like the no, fresh pine smell. No, this is Soren. This is different from um. Oh, this isn't the California one. Yeah, it's one, not though. the California one. Well, he didn't work on the Epcot one. He wasn't. No, your dad was the uh, Imagineer for the uh... California Adventure. Yeah. He also did that, and he did um, some of the other stuff in that general region. That was his region. Yeah, and I think he also was the Imagineer for like the parking lot. Uh, yes, he did the parking lot as well. Okay, 
Yeah, we have a son of the Imagineer on this podcast, people. Anyhow, so after Soren, he goes into the bathroom, has this awkward confrontation with his father and with with this other father and the son. And just to back things up a bit, when he was having sex with the uh, MILF person, there was another boy in the living room area, and I kind of assumed it was like the little boy in the living room area waiting. And, and she made for reference them. to like, my husband will be back soon, so you better leave. So I just kind of assumed it was that, and then you meet the other, um, the guy on the scooter and his butthead son. Yeah, both of whom like point and laugh at uh, Jim, who has hurt his foot and he's trying to clean his wound and. You know, he's still sick from drinking too much booze. And booze and Soren seems like a terrible combination to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not afraid of heights or anything, but I get the feeling if I was seeing, like, really fast-moving video footage while... Like, there's certain rides I would not go on if I was drunk. Like, I wouldn't go on Star Tours drunk. Although, now that I've said that, I kind of want to. But I think I'd, I think the 3D plus the rattling of the ship would not be a good combination for my stomach. I think if it was old Star Tours, because I know the motions and I kind of memorize in my head yeah. um, what all the motions are. I could, I could handle the old one, but not the 3D one. That would be too yeah, much for me. Yeah, the 3D one plus the fact that you, you're not sure which uh, part of the galaxy you're going to get. Yep. Because I think there's some some um, parts that are more um, turbulent than others, like the Cor- Coruscant one. Yeah, of course, that one gets pretty crazy. That gets that um, gives me a headache after that. And I think the Battle of Geonosis or whatever uh, also gets pretty because you're just shot at in all directions. Those are the two that are. But of course, no, Coruscant's the worst because you get hit and you fall through the atmosphere and you're just seeing the city get larger and larger. And I'm like, and in 3D, there's one thing that really gets to me for some reason, and it's the falling down effect. For some reason, that like makes me want to nut- throw up. And I'm not that way, like, in real life. Like, I love roller coasters, and the falling down sensation's fine with me. some reason, in 3D, it messes with something in my, like, brain that just makes me want to vomit everywhere. But getting back to the story, he runs back again to the, with the, up with the French girls. And then, like, one of them's like, yeah, come with us. And then he has this fantasy about, like, going out, going with one of them and the daughter to, like, Epcot. The fantasy's nothing really sexual. It's just like, yeah, let's just... We're all holding hands and happy. Yeah, I mean, it's just that. But then, like, the park explodes. But then again, that's just a fantasy. Yeah. The park explodes and the Epcot ball, like, falls down and, like, crushes a bunch of people. And then... Symbolism. And then, like, when he refuses, the French girl spits on him in slow motion. Which There's may, a reason for it. Which may or may not have happened, actually. Because then he touches his face and there's, like, nothing there. Mm-hmm. So that may not have happened. That may have been, like, a mental thing or part of the weird magical crap that's been going on in this whole story. But, yeah, he basically refuses, saying, if I go with you, something bad will happen. And then I think her response is, is like, something bad will happen anyway. Mm-hmm. It's like, either way, you're screwed. And then, yes, has the weird slow motion, way too much spit sequence. And then right after that, we have this... Which immediately disappears. We have, like, this really trippy sequence where he's... He gets captured by Disney security. He gets captured by Disney security, and he's, like, in the Epcot Globe secret headquarter thingy. Yes, and being experimented on by Dr. Mengele. And I'm just trying to, and like, this is where it just gets to your David Lynch of territory here. You basically see, uh, he puts a little thing on on Jim's head, and it shows all the different little fantasy stuff he's had thus far in a real, real quick, like, uh, flicker loop kind of thing. And he's like, oh, you have a vivid imagination. We need to purge it. We need to, like make you better you had you had to take your son to this one specific point in fact we were so adamant about it we shut down the buzz Lightyear ride so you'd do it and you failed your one job that's another reason why your boss fired you you know it was just like all this weird stuff you're like wait so did did he work for disney <laughs> is, is that what was going on and he got fired by you know someone from the park you know how does this robot how's this going it, it is also revealed and weird spoiler that this guy's a robot He's, he's being talked to and experimented on by this robot guy, implying that Jim himself might actually be a robot. We don't know, because insanity of this movie. And also, and also, if you want to talk about, like, Freudian imagery in this movie, there is a lot. Yeah. Like, when he's trying to escape from, like, um, 
this holding center, he has like this the um, foot ointment he had, and he just squirts it everywhere. And in the sequence, you see the pictures, pictures of the naked lady he was thinking of on Soren, and he gets all that white ointment onto that image. Console, yeah, and, and that image. And then all the consoles and everything everywhere, you know, as if computer porn kind of joke there. Uh, yeah, the, the way they show fountains erupting. <laughs> uh, heck, he refers to Epcot as a giant testicle. And then, you know, say what you want about explosion and testicle falling. Just saying. Like, <laughs> when you put that together, symbolism. Uh, there, there's a lot of weird sexual imagery in this. More so than I would have expected. And so much so that I'm like, I'm amazed Disney didn't, like, just shoot the director in the head and burn every copy of this. Because I figured that they would not want that kind of imagery. And uh, both both the Freudian side and just the direct stuff with the naked lady and the sex scene. Um to basically be associated with their park. Also, if you notice, they never once called it Disneyland, Disney World. They, they, They've only called it Epcot. Well, yeah, and even when they, um, um, that they, they a sequence where I think the robot scientist guy says something like, you have a vivid imagination, just like Mr. W or whatever. Yeah, whatever they, and then when and the guys, when Jim's like, "What? who are you? Do you work for Beep? And you can clearly hear that beat was meant for the D word. Yeah. So everything is saying the word Disney or any, even very few of the character names are ever really used too. So I only heard Other Dumbo than and Minnie Mouse. D- and Minnie Mouse sequence uh, and Buzz Lightyear, I don't remember them saying any more character names. You see Mickey Mouse, uh, the face character from Mickey Mouse briefly, and they have a sequence where it's clearly green screen, where they have uh, an Ariel and Jasmine, I think. Um, yeah, they do, but they're not dressed up to look like them. They look like them-ish because it, um, the crazy they look milf, like what cosplayers do when they yeah the the crazy milf was like yeah um, I'm gonna let you in on on a secret you know those uh, Disney princesses that work out there they're actually an underground prostitution ring for, for Japanese, Japanese businessmen. businessmen. I don't know. I I partially believe that honestly. <laughs> I think there's some gals that if. Uh, if like uh, Japanese businessman, Japanese businessman went up to Ariel, I'm pretty sure he could find her price. Anyway, dude, she goes after a prince who she briefly sees. Pretty sure anyone can find. She likes forks and broken radios. I'm pretty sure someone can find Ariel's price. Anywho, I'm um, getting back to the plot. Like after that, he escapes from um, the golf ball. Yeah, and. He loses his daughter and tries to like find for her, but it looks like she's been kidnapped by a crazy milf. And next thing you know, he's back at the crazy milf's hotel room. And she's acting even more weird. She's like in this dominatrix Maleficent outfit. Yeah, and acting even more strange with the way she's saying different things. And then she heavily implies that she's murdered a park guest. She said she was once a face character and that she may have basically, uh, not strangled. That's the right word for it. Um, smothered. She may she may have actually smothered a child to death. And it's a pretty sequence when they show that. Like you clearly see her. Like okay, she's cosplaying as, um, not cosplaying. She she's dressed dressed up as Princess Aurora. Yeah. In some outfit that's supposed to resemble Aurora, kind of. Yeah. It it kind of even though she has like the stereotypical like princess pointy hat thing, which Aurora I don't think has. Nope. Um, I don't think any Disney princess has the pointy hat thing. Nope. That's just more of a stereotype thing, but the dress itself is very reminiscent. And then... They took care when they had the the costumes to make sure that their costumes looked enough like the face character where you could put it in your head, but not so much that you were like, oh, well, that's exactly what the face characters look like. With the exception of that one scene where they show Mickey Mouse and Goofy walking past and stuff like that. But when they have the sequences with the women that the two face characters being hit on by the Japanese guys and her flashback, it's, it's just reminiscent enough. That's why I said, I think it's supposed to be Ariel and Jasmine, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. And then you have the sequence here where he rescue has to rescue his daughter and she's laid to, re- she, she's like in the, in the final sequence of Snow White where she's lying dead in a glass coffin type of thing. With the flowers all around her. And her his daughter is dressed up as Snow White with the flowers all around. Rescues her. And then she makes this really cute comment like, Dad, that was fun. Let's do it again. I'm like, do you realize what just happened to you? You were kidnapped. 
and probably drugged, mm -hmm. <laughs> drugged and kidnapped, and set us set up to look like Snow White in her little semi death sequence. And it's weird because because of how strange the movie had gone at that point, you're like, wait, are they going to reveal that his daughter's dead? And wait, has his daughter been dead the whole time? You know, you start getting those kinds of thoughts in your head. Like maybe this is one of those movies where just he's completely insane and thinks that his dead kids are still alive or something along those lines. Because um, I've seen something else that did that, where the big reveal was like, oh no, it's, it's, that person's kids have been dead like 20 years ago. Um, but it's, it's a really well, I love that scene, the way they did the lighting, the way they set up the bed. It is beautiful and it must have taken forever to get that all together. I was also reading some of the trivia for this movie. They had to like select certain times um, when they had to shoot in the park to get the right kind of lighting for like certain parts of the park. But easily that scene could have been, could, could have been done like... Well, that was in, in a hotel. A, yeah, but... it was done in a studio, but they were very specific on what times they wanted stuff shot at. But just looking at that, like you don't see a lot of images like that in cinema nowadays. Yeah, it's, it's very well shot and it uses the black and white to its advantage. It almost feels like you're watching a a crazy film noir Hitchcock kind of movie. It does kind of have that feel. Anyhow, uh, let's see if we can get Cat to flu. the Yeah, so he rescues his daughter. The whole family gets back together uh, and they head back to the hotel where Jim starts getting really sick on the toilet. And it's kind of a gross scene. Honestly, like I could have done without the Jim naked on the toilet being sick. Uh, and he starts coughing up hairballs. And he was warned by a nurse earlier in the movie that cat flu is going around. And he could be a carrier and not even know. Turns out he is. And he's dying from it. And you have a very, very disturbing sequence where his son walks into the bathroom, sees him, sees Jim on the floor, like, basically dying. And he's like, help me. You know, get, get, get your mother. I need help. And the son just backs out of the bathroom closes the door and just goes cuddle up with his mom again that was very well shot oh yeah that kid looks so that was creepy, creepy. oh my gosh the, his eyes will haunt your nightmares more so than the the puppets becoming demonic more so than anything else that little sequence of that kid oh my god and you know for a movie that had like 10 year old kids they did a great job uh i think the daughter was a better actress but the son was so good at doing the Brad thing that you're like, oh, your kid is so freaking annoying. And you pause for a moment and you think, oh, wait, I've been to Disneyland and I've heard that kid. I've heard that kid a bunch of times. Very good at replicating the annoying as hell kid at Disneyland. He's always bitching and moaning to his parents. To which I go, when I was your age, if I, could got, if I had the opportunity to go to Disneyland, I, don't, I would not complain at all. I would be the happiest kid ever. I was like that too. Because uh, my family was poor. So going to Disneyland was kind of an awesome thing. Um, and our, our movie basically wraps up with these security guys kind of coming in. And they uh, put Jim in a body bag, cart him away. Uh, they basically, one of the guys has this weird mind meld thing with his son. So the son has little images in his head of being on the Buzz Lightyear ride. And gives him the Buzz Lightyear pin. Um, Jim's body is put into some nondescript white van and drives off. And then this, like, uh, town car, like, pulls up. And you see the sexy lady from Jim's dream walk out of the, uh, car. And then you see Jim walk out of the car. And you see them with a little girl who is, I think, is actually a different child, but looks very much like the girl that played Jim's daughter. And they go check into the hotel, and basically the movie ends. And you look at the screen, and you go, what the hell did I just watch? I think we just had to, like, just breathe, or just take a breather there, because we saw this on Friday the 13th. We wanted to watch, like, a, you know, it's Friday the 13th. It's full moon on Friday the 13th. Let's watch a decent horror movie that we haven't seen in a while. I mean, we haven't seen, seen together. We could have watched... Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, and watched Carrie versus Jason. But no, no, this is good, too. And then I'm just like, just sitting there, what did we just watch? Like, we had to, ideal, um, usually when we watch movies like this, we watch a movie, we review it on, on the Bizarro Files, but we literally had to wait a couple of days before we could record this podcast to just let the movie just settle in. It is one of those types of movies. There's a lot of sequences that are very unsettling. Um, 
it's like, I don't recommend watching this movie alone. Watch it with a group of people and to see like how you guys react throughout the whole thing because it really takes you in on a ride. And even though we gave a fairly deep synopsis, it's not going to prepare you for the stuff you're going to see. Like you're going to be like, oh, I know. He's going to see the naked lady on start and you're like, whoa. Uh, or I know there's a sex scene coming. Whoa. You're going to have those responses. And just for the beautiful cinematography, the great use of lighting, the black and white thing works amazingly well for this. And was shot all on DSLRs. Yeah. Which I was quite surprised. Yeah, two different Canons. Because Canon is still better. I like Sony. Canon is still better. Yeah. Canon has developed a camera that you can set on the ground, aim towards the stars, and take perfectly clear shots of the stars. Okay, but getting back to like the analysis of it, so how did you interpret the ending? Well... I think you can't just interpret the ending. You have to interpret the whole movie. But my initial thing was, oh, maybe since that robot guy at Epcot was a robot, maybe Jim's some sort of dad bot that was created, be that metaphor or whatever, and this one broke. Like, the cat flu, basically, is it breaking down? Because he coughed up hairballs. So obviously that's not like a regular flu. And then this is a new Jim, or the Jim 2.0. That was my initial first thought. But then I was like, wait, no, a lot of stuff doesn't make any sense if it was just a new Jim bot. Um, my second thought, and I think the one I'm kind of leaning towards more, is Jim equals middle-aged guy. Any middle-aged guy. He's basically an avatar. So the Jim who died probably didn't die literally, but may have died metaphorically, just from the insanity of of everything that's going on around him. And this Jim is a completely different person in with his family, uh, probably about to go through the exact same hell, despite the fact that his wife seems a lot more agreeable and definitely a lot more attractive. The way how I just um, interpreted the ending, um, I'll work my way back to analyzing the whole movie, is the way I saw it was, okay, you have this guy named Jim goes on this goes on this trip trip with his family and like okay this is probably like his idea of a personal hell and then maybe he's going he's going through one life he has to like at least do one good deed which was to rescue his daughter yeah and go through like um like yeah the cat flu before he could like move on to the life that he wants it, it is really easy to see this as a uh, metaphor for reincarnation um, because he's finally with the with the woman he wants to be with he has the daughter that he had in his current in the um, in his personal hell if you will and yeah. he's dressed all nice he arrives he pulls up in a town car I mean yeah isn't that like the kind of life we all wish we could have yeah it's a more idealized life that connects into his fantasies um, and I could see this as that because you know, he's going through his first life, or whatever you want to call that one, the, the first life that we see. He's going through, and he has the one person he's basically close to, which is the daughter. It's the one he, he clearly likes his daughter more than his son. And his son's a brat, so, you know. And his wife is constantly giving him crap. So, of his whole family, the daughter's the one he's actually close to. In the process, you know, when he's with the son, he's constantly distracted. He's, you know going through the rides, he's not seeming to enjoy himself that much on. When he's with the daughter, he's a lot more happy. And anytime something bad happens to her, she hurts her, her knee, he takes her to the nurse. She gets lost, he finds her. You know, uh, when he's with other women that are like kind of his fantasy women, the, the milfy chick, the uh, French girl, all the moments that happen with, between them with him and his daughter are very much on a nice, happier kind of thing. So you have basically this guy if you want to take uh, Disneyland as a metaphor for life, he has aspects of his life that are painful. Losing his job, having an unappreciative wife, having a bratty son, and then he has the one good thing, his daughter. And then he has the longing for better, longing for better, longing for better, and trying to be a good man. And despite cheating on his wife, um, he didn't go run off with the younger girls. He took care of his daughter as best he could. And he generally tried his best to make sure everyone had a fun time at the park. You know, despite the fact that he had lost his job and that was clearly messing with him and to the point that he had to start drinking a lot. In his second life, you know, the good karma seemed to have paid off. I mean, granted, we don't know. 
we don't know what that woman's personality is like. We just know what she's like from the little fantasy thing of like, I'll be with you soon and we'll be together and you'll be happy and, you know, that kind of a thing in his fantasy thing. We don't know what the actual life is like. We're just seeing the beginning of it, so to speak. He's with the daughter that he appreciates. He's with the woman that he wanted to be with. You know, we could see this as his second life coming in and, you know, maybe he won't screw things up. Maybe things won't fall apart this time. But the truth is, we don't know. And the other thing that I noticed, like, you mentioned at the end, like, Disneyland cast members or Secret Service team, they showed up, showed up at the hotel. So towards, like, the middle of the movie where Jim was on the balcony shortly before he stubbed his toe, he was staring down, and then he sees the unmarked white van and, like, one of those mysterious cast members walk into the, into the hotel. Yeah. And then I'm like... Are they preparing for what's to happen later in the evening? Or are they also taking care of some cleanup? See, I think they're taking care of someone else. I think they're basically like the Grim Reaper or something like that. To think, you know, the way they just kind of cart off the body and, okay, now you're reincarnated. Have fun. Um, They're kind of functioning that role. Um, especially kind of more towards, I believe, the Japanese Shinigami Grim Reapers. Uh, I mean, after all, like, are a little more on the reincarnation like, side of things. However, they also do have the powers to implement, um, implant memories that you probably may not have. That's true too. Have. So I don't, I don't know. They're they're obviously magical in some form or another. It's the Disney magic. For the for the sake of the reincarnation version of looking at this, they're carting off the Jim's soul to be, you know, remade and probably doing what they can to kind of make the son have a happier life as he gets older. Having this one happy memory of going on Buzz Lightyear. Um, or you use Buzz Lightyear as a metaphor for something else. You know, kind of that whole, your dad died, but, you know, in exchange, you're this or this happened is kind of a thing. There's weird consolations that can happen in life. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to interpret. And, and there's, by the way, this is just one variant. You can go online and find, what do we find, like 10 different theories? Yeah, like we that. found like several different like lengthy articles, but they're like a good read if you've seen this movie and you want to like find like for metaphors, different interpretations. And the great thing about this movie is there's no one way to look at it. Yeah, everything from, uh, uh, this is about how Disney, you know, uh, corrupts expectations and, you know, shows you this fake happiness that you think will replace your pain. The most bizarre one I found was it was a metaphor for the, for the MRA. Yeah, that, that there was that one too. But I thought it was actually pretty well written because it talked about like, this is, if you look at it from like an MRA kind of point of view, like you have... It, it talk, there was this article that talked about themes of like the male being emasculated and they use um, Jim as that kind of simple and also to note that in the next life he's wearing a fedora as he steps out yeah but and his, the MRA and his wife's also wearing like a sexy like 1920s uh, you know uh, bombshell kind of outfit true good but the reason why i wanted to point out fedora is it's the symbol of the um mra even though technically it's a trilby but anywho you still want trilby though i want one of every kind of hat except for caps i'm not a huge fan of caps but heck i have a um i have a watchbook i have a uh, pit i have a pit helmet so you know I'm, I'm kind of at a point where it's difficult to find types of hats i don't already have i love my pit helmet and we need to get you a fez I do need a Fez, because Fezes are cool. Anywho, um, did you have any other thoughts on Escape from Tomorrow? Would you recommend it? I would definitely recommend it. It, I mean, look, if you're offended by nudity or, you know, things like that, you're probably not going to be into it. I don't know why anyone would be offended by nudity, but whatever. If you are, if you have delicate sensibilities, it's not for you. But then again, the words horror movie probably aren't for you. And if you're the type of person who likes to have everything explained to you at the forefront, this movie's not for you because I feel that feel like watching these types of movies, like the ones like by David Lynch, you have to have the kind of open mind and you have to be open to different interpretations. And that's the fun part of these types of movies. Like when you just let it like just sit for a bit and you're discussing it with someone to like find like, okay, this is what I got out of this. What did you get out of this? And just like researching and just reading up like different interpretations of it. 
Yeah. And you could take it, like I said, like we said, there's there's a bunch out there. You know, we didn't even get into some of the other ones. I think we had also a discussion on the uh, kind of the hell to purgatory to heaven kind of thing as well. Um, we I think we had a discussion about that as, as you know, it kind of that. And then that bled into the whole idea of the reincarnation. And, you know, um, there's, there's another one I really liked that actually was a tone I kept picking up on was this was a metaphor for the destruction of the family. That was also um, one of the articles that we pulled up after, right after the movie, like the destruction of the typical traditional nuclear family. Because someone in, in the article that we read is like mentioned, like yeah, Disney was always known for like a very happy place for the American nuclear family. It was like this iconic place of the 1950s where families would go, and it would be very traditional, very, very happy in a very superficial kind of way. But as like the times change that kind of idea of family is becoming more of the minority, whereas broken families are being much more common and the majority. And you see, like, the husband and wife not spending time with each other. You see the kids kind of picking their favorites, and to an extent, the parents choosing their favorites as well. Uh, you see, you know, Jim's death could be more of a metaphor for, you know, the family's falling apart, and kind of ties that whole Jim isn't a person so much as he's an avatar, and that's why you have a brand new Jim with that other family. Or... That could actually be the same Jim, and this is his remarriage. He, he got his act together. He found a sexy younger lady to be his wife and kept the daughter that liked him. That's completely possible as well. And it's brilliantly done. It's one of those things where I was expecting this to be to look low budget, and it does look low budget. Um, but... I was expecting, you know, oh, and then we'll, we'll green screen in with, like, Matterhorn in the background, and we'll have, you know, some sort of monster or something. And it's it's very it's amazingly well shot. I'd actually like to see this director with an actual budget, you know, given a chance to actually make a real movie. Or to say, make a Hollywood movie. I guess it'd be the right way. To, or if you threw together a Kickstarter thing, to, or a uh, fund anything kind of uh, thing along those lines. If we had extra money, we, we'd totally fund it because it was very well done. And I'd really like to see more of these types of movies out there because, you know, summer's rolling around and you have the, all, all those blockbusters. And I don't know, just recently, what Hollywood's been putting out in recent years just hasn't really done anything for me. Well, the action movies are still kind of fun and great spectacles, but it's, it's difficult just, finding that... It's just nice to see something come up once in a while that really engages your mind and has you asking questions even long after you've been done with said movie. And you kind of want to watch it again to get another reading on it. And I kind of want to do it again. I wouldn't mind watching it again to get another read on it. I want to watch it again, but I want to watch it again with people who haven't seen it yet just to gauge their reactions and responses. That'd be pretty awesome. Like, if only we knew people. Friends are overrated. It's all about ice cream and video games. Who's in wine? Who's in wine? Anywho, well, I'm hoping, like, one of these days that the local Coolidge Corner Theater might do a midnight screening of this. Oh, I would love to do a midnight screening of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, this has to be, like, one of the better movies I've seen in recent years. Yeah. Just because it was so unique and actually required your your mind for it and didn't, like, resort to cheesy twists at the end or anything like that. I mean, okay, you could interpret the getting out of the car sequence there at the end a twist, but it's not a twist because it's not connected to the main story. It's its own thing or beginning of its own story, you know? So it's, it's different than, you know... But it was like I was going to say, the whole daughter was dead the whole time kind of thing. You know, that would have been a twist and that nothing like that happens. You know, or, oh, and the whole time it was just Jim's dream. And he just woke up and now he and his family are heading off to Disneyland. You know, get your Nightmare City ending of uh, the nightmare becomes real. Anywho, um, final thoughts. Oh, spoiler for Nightmare oh. City, by the way, for those of you who care about your Italian zombie movies. <laughs> I think it's Italian. Yeah, final thoughts on Escape from Tomorrow before we wrap up? Give it a, get, get some friends together, give it a watch, do it sober, because alcohol is just going to make this worse. Um, the experience will be way too nightmare-inducing if you drink. 
Just um, have then, an open mind. And then watch like Nightmare City afterwards, because it'll just show you a huge... It'll just be so different watching Nightmare City afterwards. And for, like, my Disney fans out there, especially fans of the parks like myself, it does sometimes, like, just looking at the park, both parks, both... Because they did shoot in Anaheim and in Florida. I don't know, sometimes it did take me out of it, but it's not too glaring that it doesn't take you completely out of the movie. Because, like, hey, that's Anaheim. Hey, that's Florida. Yeah. Anywho, so, um, Jared, would you like to sign us off? Yep. So until we see something else that really catches our uh, fancy in terms of movie, TV, or etc., and I actually have a plan for the upcoming TV season that might work out really well. We'll see how that goes. And until then, you can find more Scarlet Rhapsody podcasts on scarletrhapsody.com. You can read our convention reports, our articles on stuff, and hey, you can even go back to my old comic book reviews I did two years ago that are still kind of sitting there. <laughs> um... Until then, check out our Facebook group if you haven't done that. And our Twitter thing. What's our Twitter thing? At Scarlet Rhapsody. Idiot. Hyphenated or not? No, it's, it's one thing. Thank At Scarlet you. Rhapsody. <sighs> Just want to get the name right. So until next time, this is Jared for the very, very, very bossy boss lady yeah. saying, keep it bizarre because it's hip to be square. Okay, bossiness or a trade of Leo, it's a compliment. I guess. So, Hardland. Watch Nightmare City, it's basically the same thing. So, what did Milhouse say about Lightning Queen? Oh, God, what's the line? If they gas at their food, why do they have tea? Why do they have tea? I'm still in the point that the cars. Cars is basically what happens if the Decepticons win. Are you planning to see the new cast one or something? I'm just gonna avoid that. Rift tracks? I don't know. Like after, we watched the on Rift tracks and that was painful. I don't think Thor's gonna be any better, other than the consistent jokes we'll be making that are references to other Mark Wahlberg movies. Mark Wahlberg talks to robots. That's fun.